What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm very excited to be rocking with you guys for yet another episode. I am back as a part of a very important travel series I'm doing when I'm speaking to amazing individuals within the luxury and overall travel space who have just amazing backgrounds and are doing amazing things that I am very honored and privileged to be able to talk with them through their stories and some of the amazing things that they have done and that they will be doing moving forward. So today I am joined by an incredible guest, um, someone I definitely look up to and have studied a lot uh, in my new role that I have, um, and just is an overall amazing person. Uh, so without further ado, I will allow him to introduce himself as we jump into this episode. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, and the honor and privilege is mine, but thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, something that you're interested in, and how you landed in the travel space? Yeah, I am originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, Um, so from California to where I grew up. My roots are there, and I'm currently based in Menorca, Spain, so a little small island next to Mallorca and Ibiza, which are the better known islands. Um, but Menorca is gorgeous. <laughs> and, and let me, th- so yeah, I've, um, my background is I, in school and university, I studied cross-cultural psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so have always had an interest in, in cultures, international affairs. It was kind of like a design your own, field of study type of thing. So there was a lot, apart from psychology, a lot of anthropology, sociology, ethnic studies, gender studies. Um, it was so cool. I miss it so much. Um, and during my time there, did a year of studying abroad in Madrid, in Spain. And that kind of started my my love for being abroad, seeing the world. Um, it was very, you know, quintessential study abroad year where Every weekend, I was always, I feel like I spent so little time in Madrid that year because it was one that was like every weekend, you know, you're there for a year and you want to take advantage of it. Mm. And I saw like almost every country in Europe because I just wanted to, to see as much of it as I could. Um, came back to the US to finish my degree and then, you know, later thought, wow, I really didn't see as much of Spain as I wanted to on this, this year that I was living there. And then after a few years in the US, my plan, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break from everything. I am ready to, I just want to, I was living in New York at the time. It's like, I just want to take a break, reset myself. I'm going to do just a year back in Madrid, teach mm-hmm. English, um, disconnect, and then come back to New York and like refigure everything out. And that was eight years ago and I just never, <laughs> never went back. So <laughs> I'm still here. And that's amazing. And you know what? You know what's that? First, I didn't know this. I am a social anthropology major as well, and I fell oh, into okay. it. And it was the again changed my life. It really opened my eyes to how much there was in the world. Coming from a big city like Chicago, you kind of well, I definitely thought that everything is there. And I had met, and I did go to a very diverse school as well, but I didn't really understand as much as I thought I did once I took those courses. And then it just really piqued my interest. Like, man, there's so much out here that I don't know. I definitely need to learn more. And then as you described, right, so from California to Madrid, I studied abroad in Beijing and I had the same feeling when I came back. It's just like, okay, how do I get more of that? And I felt like I left so many stones unturned that I needed to get back out, whether it was Beijing or not, to kind of have a similar experience like that. But before I go more into that, Spain. Now, I've been to Spain, Madrid and Barcelona, but Fun fact, I had a $10,000 budget. I spent $4,000 in Italy. God knows why. So I went to Spain. I took a lot of trains and a lot of walking around and all of the low budget things. But just for the audience, like, what does it feel like living in Spain? How would you describe the island you're on? And when you say it's the lesser known islands, like, why do you say that? And what are some of the other things that people may not know about Spain that makes it a great place to live and why you personally chose to live there? Oh, Spain is, I feel like, this is definitely something that comes up and especially the staying here mm-hmm. and people. And it's funny, the other where I normally get asked, this is from people in Spain when I'm like, I'm oh. from California, San Francisco. And they're like, why did you come here? <laughs> and I'm like, you should try living in the U S and then you'll see why. <laughs> um, but it is especially coming. Cause I came from New York to, to Madrid at the time. And 
even like comparable to big cities. Well, New York is much bigger than Madrid, but two major like you know mega cities in their area. The lifestyle in Spain is just exactly what people think it is. Like it's mm. maybe not quite like siestas and naps all the time, but it's <laughs> slower. Um, it's slower. There's an appreciation for for enjoying life. I feel like, like what I always say is I feel like when I was, especially in cities like New York and San Francisco, people live to work. And here it's the opposite. It's like you work, but it's to live. Like you do your time, you work, people do their jobs. It's not as, it's also a stereotype of lazy Spaniards, which isn't true. Um, but it's that there's like an enjoyment of life here that just, and the longer I was here, after one year here, I was like, let me do one more year. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was like, I still don't want to go back. Let me do one more year. And I realized that was the part of it that I was craving and like loved. I was like, and once you're in it for a few years, you're like, I don't want to go back to <laughs> the grind of living in in New York. <laughs> and I loved New York. Like nothing. I loved living there. I always planned to go back. Um, but lifestyle-wise, it's just... Um, and another, like, a whole different type of way of living. And then on top of that, going from Madrid to Menorca, mm. which is tiny island, a population of the whole island is officially, like, I think, like, 90,000 people. Wow. Um, you know, you can drive across the whole island mm-hmm. for, in, like, 35 minutes. Um, so it's what? not big. Yeah, it's small. Um, and... Also, just, you know, and this is for me the smallest place I by far have ever lived in my life. I'm San Francisco, New York, Madrid, then Menorca. Um, That took much more getting used to from Madrid to Menorca, like a a bigger culture shock almost, and moving from the United States to Spain. Mm. See, And that's, and honestly, you put it in words that I I never even thought of, right? It's like, the, the questions we get, like, why did you move to Taiwan? Okay, that's cool. But why did you stay? And like you said, it's just the, you found a lifestyle and the people in the culture that really connected with not only who you were, but like the kind of lifestyle that you wanted to live. And again, like, I, I feel like I never would have understood what that meant had I never just left the United States for an extended period of time and really had an experience just away from what I thought was going to be the everyday of my life for the rest of my life, which is a huge commitment to make and people don't really get that like sometimes it's yeah you can choose to live wherever you want but you should really get out there and see what what the world has to offer for you and i do remember spain similarly where it's like fresh fruit stands everywhere um walking felt okay like the parks were immaculate walking through the, the madrid parks and just spending a day there and not feeling like i was wasting time but i was really filling my day with things that brought me joy and happiness and i was only there for seven days so i can only imagine what it feels like for an extended period of time. So what was your, like the first job that you had within the travel space where you felt like, okay. And oh, I guess, and then why did you choose that that job since you had it within the travel space as well? I was, and I kind of almost fell into it in a way. I think before working in travel, like I said, I, I hadn't worked in that before. My experience in the US was a lot in writing jobs. I had had like content writing for different companies. Um, I worked for a newspaper uh, in the San Francisco for a little bit. And then I moved to Spain as an English teacher. And then once I realized I wanted to stay in Spain and not still be a teacher, um, I, and I think working in travel was something that always called to, like it's always felt like a fantasy job. Like if somebody were like, what's your dream job? would have been like something in like travel writing, but <laughs> like who who could... And like this was in like 2013, 14. There was at the time a saturation of travel blogs. I was just like, I'm not gonna jump into this world. Like it's and be just one more blog out there. Um, but then I got a job as working as an editor remotely with a company in the U.S. That part of some of their publications were some like really well known travel magazine or travel publications like Trip Savvy and Travel and Leisure. And starting there is just like kind of an editor on the side, which turned into writing and then it became more writing with other publications. And that was how this like fantasy job that I had had of like, oh, it'd be so <laughs> cool to be a travel writer, but like who actually becomes that? And then I was doing it and I was like, mm. wow. Um, 
and and it was great which then turned into to writing for the company that we are at now and then that eventually there was an opportunity to change from a job focused on writing to designing and planning trips for people which has been a shift for me um but a really fun one i feel like i've always naturally been the travel planner in groups whether it's with mm. you know traveling with a friend or my family it's always I'm the one who, because I take it on, not anyone forces me to. Um, so it has felt, yeah, I'm just, uh, which has also been a fun change. Also for like a job that before working here, I would have, if someone had been like, oh, like a travel planner or travel agent, I'm like, do those jobs still exist? And <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to say that they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to take a step back because I do want to get your perspective on, I guess, um, and this is something I ask myself too. It's like, well, and I actually podcast about it in my previous episode. It's living living in Taiwan and planning just for Taiwan felt different when I lived there. And um, when I had a chance to leave for two years and go back, I was like, wow, completely different perspective. But for you, do you think you would have remained in Spain as long as you have had you remained a teacher? Um, and for me, I know I taught in uh, for about seven or eight years and year six and seven, I was like, well, something's got to give. This is great. I love the kids. But when I left to go to Taiwan, my plan, like similar as you, was one year and I'm out, pay off my student loans, get back. Uh, second year, I was like, cool. I went to seven countries in my first year. Hey, let's go to some more. Third year, it just kind of came, okay, I'm just here and I'm just going to figure it out. So like, do you think you would have remained there as long as you had, had you not found a different career path? No, I don't think I would have. Mm. I also really, I liked teaching parts of it. I liked the kids. Um, I was like a high school and junior high. And I remember when I was assigned to junior high, I thought, oh, what a nightmare age. <laughs> they were my favorite. I loved them. They were so, so cool. Um, but, and this is not a surprise to anyone, but being a teacher is hard. It's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I partly that move, I like moved to Spain to, or back to Spain the second time to like reset. I was, I was living in New York. I was working at this company where it was like 50 to 60 hour weeks i just felt oh. drained like i was spending my life working to just survive in new york and then moved to spain where they have this very popular program with americans because it's an easy way to get a visa where you can be an english teacher and you only work 16 hours a week oh, wow. so i was like great i'm gonna be working 16 hours a week it's gonna be a breeze I was more exhausted after one <laughs> week of 16 hours as a teacher than after working like 50 hours in New York. <laughs> it was just so draining. Um, so shout out to teachers. You are all heroes. <laughs> oh my goodness. I definitely can relate. Like I felt this, it was, and for me, it was just, I found myself, I didn't realize how much I would like, cause I had high school kids and I was like 21 years old teaching a bunch of 18 year olds. So it was like teaching some friends. They had moderately good English, but, and I was super competitive. So they had all these competitions. I'm like, yeah, I'll help you from five to 8 PM every day. I don't have anything else going on. And then I, I, I got a life and I was like, oh man, this is, this is a lot. I bit off more than I could chew, but yes, it is extremely. So did your language skills, I don't know. Did you speak Spanish before you went to Spain or is it something you picked up along the way or is it something that I had studied Spanish in like high school, but you know, I I think in general U.S. high school languages aren't uh, super effective. So I had a, like a, I had a basis. I knew the basics. Yeah. Never to a point where I would have said like I speak Spanish. Never. Um, and the first time that I went to to study abroad, uh, it was a pro. It was a year long program where you were in classes with Spaniards and classes in Spanish. And I am so grateful for that because that was really like the f force, like the push it, you have to do this. Um, Cause I think there are so many people who come, especially who come for this teaching program mm -hmm. and want to like come to Spain thinking like, I'm going to learn Spanish, but you're teaching, speaking English all day with your students. Um, you generally, since you aren't learning a lot of Spanish, you make other English speaking friends. And I'm so grateful that I had that study abroad experience that forced me to learn Spanish because otherwise it's so easy to come and not have that experience. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not forced to, it's so easy to fall into a routine or a pattern where you are just speaking English all the time. Oh, for sure. And I know we have, you know, we both have an incredible job. We plan these amazing trips for people all over the world in our respective areas and regions. 
Um, but I guess my question is, how do your experiences, all the ones you've had uh, this thus far, and spe- specifically for Spain, but also other places you visited as well, I know you're, you've been to Morocco a few times as well, um, how does that help you become better or great at helping other people fulfill their travel dreams? Not necessarily planning out what they do, but the conversation piece, right? The speaking with someone who wants to come where you've been and having that connection to the place that's rooted so deeply in who you've become, um, how does that help you in what you're doing now on a day-to-day basis? It definitely, there's the the element and the component that's like expertise and knowing the place, like that's obviously there. But I think having a background in psychology is also such a big part of it. Like, Yes, you have to know the place and where people are going and know what to do and how to get there and the best places to do X or eat Y. Um, but there's also that human element. There's like real intimate connections that you make. And I love, I like genuinely love helping people plan travel. Like it's whether it's my friends, whether it is a stranger who I've never met in person and they are using our like service to plan a trip. Um it's so important to me. Like I want people to genuinely enjoy these places that they're at. And that a big part of that is listening and connecting with that person. And I think having a background in psychology, even though it's maybe not the like obvious thing to study and then end up in a travel planning career. um, I find it really helpful in, in these types of interactions, like just any interaction with another human being. Um, So yeah, that's what I would say. Well, I, I'm not gonna lie, guys. I teared up a little bit. Brian's over here dropping gems. Make sure you guys turn the volume up. Um, so, my follow up question would be: uh, What what passions have you discovered from not just travel, but from living abroad and from having all these different varieties of experience that kind of connected you in different ways to the world? Definitely a passion for languages. Um, I'm definitely like a person. If I'm going to a place, I try and learn you know i'm like doing duolingo for the country i have so many like started duolingo countries in my duolingo app because every time i go to a country i will do at least the first like few chapters challenges whatever they're called um just to have something um and another passion that has kind of i i'm not even sure where this one started but i kind of as i was doing travel writing a beat that i constantly came back to was sustainable responsible tourism and travel and that has definitely become like a focal point for me both in my personal travels and the way that i hope other people travel um you know it's something that i i've written about i i think living in menorca has been this is something i was already passionate about before i moved here but it's one of the things that really drew me to menorca um it is, like I said, there's like the three Balearic islands of Spain. Mm-hmm. The main ones are Mallorca, Ibiza, and Menorca. Menorca is by far the least visited of the three. Mallorca is huge. There's so much tourism. Ibiza has its mm-hmm. party scene and also very visited. Uh, Menorca is definitely becoming more popular. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it like a hidden gem or anything. It's not that. <laughs> um, but of the three, it's by far the least visited. And part of that is that they have really worked to, limit tourism Mm -hmm. in a way to protect the island that i think is really cool and should be a like almost like a beacon for how tourism works you know like if you go to a beaches on mallorca or ibiza a lot of times they have like big resorts on them um like private stretches of beach where you know it's like just if you're staying at you know this hotel Mm -hmm. or the view is not there because there's a huge building in front of it and menorca it's almost impossible to build on beaches just because Mm -hmm. of the laws here and it's really protected it where it has like by far the most like pristine virgin beaches where you can get to them. And there's just like no buildings there. There's no hotels. It's just the people who are willing to hike to get there. Um, wow. Well, you definitely sold me on which island to visit when I go. Sustainable wise, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay. I know this is a, this is a hard question. I don't, I'm going to put a little spin on it. Cause usually I say, Hey, rank your top three countries and things of that nature. But I think that's hard because, you know, when you travel to a certain amount of country, just like, man, like each of them holds a special place in your heart and it's hard to kind of rank them in in a place. But 
for someone who's looking to travel for their first, very first time, right? First time, let's just say out of the US and they're looking to go to a place where they're going to just have an overall amazing experience in your perspective. Um, what would that place be that you recommend someone going for the very first time for their very first travel experience out of the country? Oh, that is a hard one. That's so much harder than picking my favorite one. <laughs> um, but no, I can... Oh, I mean, this is where, like, going backwards, like, obviously, and you know this, like, depends on the person, what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... If I did pick my favorite place, and I think a place that is almost, like, universally loved and I think was always a great experience is Mexico. It's... Oh. Me- I don't, it's hard for me to ever pick like a, like a top three places I've been to. Mm -hmm. Um, But if there's one place that's, and it's like always like a revolving list of like changing one place that's always in that top three is Mexico. And the parts that I love most about it are Mexico city. I actually lived in Mexico city for a while after I graduated um, just for a few months. And there is an energy there and just, uh, I don't know, it's really hard to put into words. And it's something that a lot of people feel because it's a very, becoming a much more popular place, especially with U.S. travelers. Um, but that would be my recommendation. Like, it's you can't go wrong with there's, like, amazing food. There's just amazing, like, life in the streets when you're outside. There's nature. It really feels like it's, like, a place that just has everything and if you're not impressed or like don't fall in love with it, then I'm asking like, well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and you see, uh, it's, it's funny. And people, friends get mad at me still. They're like, Carl, you've lived in Austin, Texas for two and a half years now. Have you been to Mexico? I was like, I've never been to Mexico in my entire life. And I feel, <laughs> I feel so bad. I have friends that are like, they just came back. They go to Mexico. There's a place called Tequila, Mexico that, it, it is what it sounds like, guys, and it's amazing. I've saw videos and videos, and I haven't been, but it is on my places like in the next five months because I can get there. I can literally drive there in two hours. It's it's crazy. But hearing you saying that is definitely like put a lit a fire underneath me. I'm definitely gonna check on my friend and say, hey guys, it's time to make this trip because it really makes no sense why I haven't been there already, to be honest. And speaking of which, I know. So you know when you live in places and you like that that expatriate experience, right? So when you're teaching. You meeting people that are also teaching that are foreigners or from where you're from, and you can, you kind of built that 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 camaraderie, that group. So, what is your favorite travel story when you're in those settings to 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 share with someone that you meet for the first time? For me, it was always like, "Hey, how I ended up in Taiwan because it's so unconventional and it really was an accident. I didn't really plan to be here." Um, but for you, like, what is that? What is that your go to story when you're traveling that you love sharing with people that really kind of en- encapsulates who you are and and what your travel story kind of feels like as well. Oh my gosh. So many stories, so many embarrassing stories that are just, <laughs> but I feel hold on, a story that I do love to tell. And I think is, and I think it's important because it's kind of changed the way I travel was I was traveling with, I was with a friend traveling through Senegal and which was like so cool. It was so different. It was my first time being in like sub-Saharan Africa, like somewhere outside of Morocco um and while we were had like traveled through the capital city which is Dakar and then went down to this coastal city called Bour and in the place we were staying met this couple who were Senegalese and were on their honeymoon and we just like hit it off with them and we basically spent their honeymoon with them which sounds like <laughs> I crashed it but I did they insisted we really hit it off I gave we also made sure they had their honeymoon time um and the reason, I mean, the it was the most memorable part of the trip and something that I, like, look back on. And we, like, still keep in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason it's, for me, such a pivotal story in the way I travel is that there was such a change being with people who were from this place. And it's really changed the way that I want to travel. Where before, I was just like, I just want to go to see places. I'll go on my own. I'll go with a friend. I want to see new countries. Coming from being in the capital city, Dakar, where I felt always like part of the country was just inaccessible to me from cultural differences, mostly linguistic differences. You know, I if I can't communicate with people because I don't speak French or Wolof, then I can't access these things of what's happening in the city or knowing what's going on. And being then like the contrast of then being in this town 
with these two who could give me access to all these parts that I would have, things that I would have never known they existed if I wasn't with them. And it's really changed the way now that I plan my own travels, where if I'm going to a country where, especially if I don't speak the language, or maybe there's a big like cultural gap, I want to make sure I'm there visiting someone I know, going with somebody I like who I know who is, has a connection to this place. Um, and I think it's really made the quality of my trips much better. Oh man, for sure. Oh, that was a great story too. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, I've, I haven't crashed a honeymoon, but I've met some Australians who we ended up like traveling through all of Australia with. And it just, again, it just, it just changed the, the way the trip went in its entirety. And again, we still keep in contact. I think I'm going to be somebody's godparent, I think soon. Congratulations to you guys. I know you're listening, but man, that's, that's, that's just absolutely amazing. Right. And it does, I, I, I'm going to lie, I, I have solo traveled not that often, and I don't necessarily see myself as a solo traveler. Like, I enjoy the company of people. Like, I enjoy creating memories with someone else, specifically friends who just, or people who've never gone outside of the country. I'm like, hey, we'll figure this out together, but I'll be less stressed and you'll be super stressed, but I'll make calm you down, things like that. So, yeah, it's just very, it's very interesting just hearing um, your experience as well. Uh, so, this is a good question. I hope <laughs> like where is a place that you travel to? And I ask this all the time. I love the answers I get that you've traveled to that you have no interest in returning to. Oh, I mean, there is, there is genuinely for one side of, for one part of this question, there's nowhere that I would like never return to or that. I'd be like, this place was so bad. I would never go back. But as I say that there is one country that like came to mind, which <laughs> is Belgium. And Ooh. sorry, no offense to Belgian people. It was <laughs> not even that I wouldn't go back. It was just I was in Brussels and it was just a day. It's not even it's not fair to Belgium at all. Like hmm. and if I had the chance to visit, like I think there's like cute little towns like Antwerp and places that I would also like love to see, but at the same time I'm kinda like, you know what? I saw Belgium. If I have a chance to go somewhere else, then I would <laughs> pick that other place. <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh people get so mad at me because my answer is always paris and they're like what paris i'm like i want to see other parts of france but i said paris to me was just so i didn't get to see the catacombs so maybe that may be it but it was so underwhelming from one of the visual i had in my mind um so i was just like man and even like seeing the mona lisa and seeing in person how tiny that thing is and i was like come on guys. so disappointing like i was like yeah this i flew all the way out here for this and it was just i, I went again ha- going back now with more money than i had before i was on my euro trip of six weeks with ten thousand dollars in europe and I, I was stretching as far as i could so i i think that contributes to it but yeah whenever i say paris people are like what i love paris i'm like i'm sorry it's i'm glad i went don't need to go back I know what you mean, and I have been a few times, and I've also felt like, Ugh, it's just a big, expensive city. Like, I can <laughs> do this any... And kind of going back to, like, this, like, the way I travel, meeting the Senegalese couple, one of my closest friends who I met in Madrid, she's from, like, born and raised in, like, the center of Paris. Um, like, her family apartment, like, basically overlooks Notre Dame. And now having gone back since meeting her, and, like, when I'm with her or go to visit her, I'm like, wow, this is a totally different experience of Paris than previous ones where I was here. I'm always there as a traveler, as a tourist. Like I'm not, it's not my city, but being with this person who's from there and her friends who are from there. And in these groups, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm infiltrating the city in a way that I couldn't do on my own. Um, So yeah, just another reason to always have a friend in the places you travel. That is true. And we did have one and, you know, we had crepes. They were delicious, had wine. And I was still just like, ooh, I want to go home. That's fair. (laughs) So is it... Paris and Belgium, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, still go travel. Everyone has a different travel experience. Don't take... I mean, yeah, have your own experiences and then get back to me in in the comments like you guys always do in my email inbox. But um, uh, so I know, okay, where you're located now, where do you frequently travel to? Like, are you, do you, are you more of a homebody where you just kind of stay where you are? And I know you're really all about sustainability, but when you are packing up and moving around, like where do you frequent given where you are now? Oh, I do. Being on in my, the amount of my travel has probably gone down a bit since being on this island because flights are more limited in the winter, like beginning from like 
fall up until April, May, there is like two flights a day from the island to Barcelona to Madrid. And that's it. So it's just hard to harder to get places. Um, also a lot of island fever and having to like, you feel like you need to leave. So even if it's just like a quick trip to Barcelona, just to like be in a city. Um, or again, I'm like trying to explore more of places that I had been to before. You know, I've been through Spain. I've been to Portugal. I've been to Italy. Going back to these places that I've been to before and then trying to get out of these like main cities and seeing like, well, what else is here? Like where, what are these like more countryside places or off the beaten track? Um, and I'm really, really enjoying that. On that note, I also last year went to, took my like first big trip since COVID where before I felt like I always try to do like, I want like one big, like momentous trip a year. Um, and because of COVID that was not possible for all of us. And last year was able to go to Peru and Chile and was there for a month. Ooh, wow. And it just like kind of reawoken me to like, oh God, I miss like <laughs> big trips. Um, don't have one of those planned yet at the moment, but hopefully one will present itself soon. For sure. Always welcome to Taiwan. It's a great place to live oh, and visit. I would love to. Um, and I have so- a friend there, so that's what I need. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, let's do it. Um a question, because this is something I've struggled with, I guess, putting into words. Um, how, how would you, what's the difference between traveling uh, from California to New York and how it feels versus traveling um, within Spain, let's just say from Menorca to Barcelona? Like what makes that different or is there any difference um, in just how it feels? Because for me, it's like, I tell people, they say, oh, why don't you just stay in America and travel to all 50 states? I said, you know, even when I, travel to even let's say Denver, which is completely different than Chicago. Well, kind of uh, just going anywhere. I'm just like, okay, it's still, I'm still in America and it feels really American, but what I'm seeing and doing is different. So it's hard for me to put in the words, just that feeling, but like, how would you describe it? Um, if you could just talk through it, how it feels differently for you. Um, yeah. I mean, I think even logistically going like travel within Europe is just easier. <laughs> um, I love you going on a flight. Like if I want to get to Barcelona, I can be there in, it's like a 35 minute flight and I am from one place to another. And it's that quick getting around the U S you know, is just not easy. And especially from people coming from outside of the U S I have Mm -hmm. so many friends here in Europe who are like, I'm going to the U S and planning this trip. I'm going to go, I'm going to see New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago and Texas. And, I'm just like, no, you're not. You're not going <laughs> to see all of these things in your like 10 day trip. Like, do you know how big it is? Um, so, but like, okay. <laughs> and people are always blown away by the distances. And even now when I return, I'm like also blown away. I'm like, whoa, this is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also sadly, like the differences between, like apart from logistics, I, of the, Many places I've traveled to, I know sadly little of the United States of America. I would love to do one of that like nightmare trip I just described of all these places. I would mm-hmm. love to do that because <laughs> um, not on that timeline, but in a way, like there's just so much of, I know the West Coast, I lived in New York, almost the other, everything else in between and the rest mm-hmm. of the East Coast, I really sadly don't know that well. And I know that there's a lot of really cool amazing national parks which is my always anyone traveling to the u.s is the best part i think of the u.s amazing national parks like great food oh i want to go to new orleans and eat oh my god Um, yes sorry (laughs) and and yeah just so much other parts to it that i'm like i should know these things too and um but, but yeah it's completely and then another thing, sorry, now I'm rambling, but um, I, I am surprised when it's funny that you say like, you feel like you're still in the US when you travel all these places, because I feel that same way too. And even just like within Spain, I'm always surprised by how you can travel such a geographically tiny distance and things just, you feel like you're in a different country. Like people will speak a different, like languages within Spain and have such like strongly different accents in like you cross a river and, and 
And I'm just like, wow, this in the US, you can like, yes, we do have accents, of course, and regional accents. But if someone is like from a city, I don't know if you're from, right. you know, Chicago or San Francisco in general, unless, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I that's another thing about, I think there's a, a crazy diversity that within European countries that I didn't know existed before I lived here. It was to me, it was just Spanish. Like, oh no, there's also Basque people and Catalan people and Galician people. And, you know, and in the South, they feel like their own culture. And so. For sure. Thank you. Cause I, I was, I always really struggle with that when I'm speaking. I'm like, I'm trying to, I want to put it in ways that, because you know, it's not that I don't like the U.S. or I don't like being here. I don't understand how much there is here. There is. And I've I've been fortunate to go to a lot of cities, but I haven't been to places like Philadelphia or Boston. Um, but I've been to, I think, all the major cities. But like Utah is absolutely beautiful. We did a road trip through there. Um, New Mexico, like there's just so many things to see. Um, but again, it's like you said, it's still I still know and feel like I'm an American. I kind of want a different feeling. And Traveler International definitely gave me that. Like I said, it's a three hour flight from Austin to Chicago. From Taiwan, it's a three-hour flight to Japan or Korea or Thailand. It's like completely different places. Or from the top of the island to the bottom, it's a 45-minute flight. And it's a completely different feeling and, like you said, languages. So, yeah, it's just it's always an interesting question for me to explore from others to see how they feel about it, um, especially being rooted in from America when you have that. But now, at, your, at this phase in your life, what kind of traveler are you? Um, I grew up a backpacker. Um, and then I graduated up to uh, a mid-tier hoteler, and now I'm dipping my toe more and more into the luxury side uh, on a very condensed budget. So uh, in this stage of your life, uh, what what type of traveler do you feel that you are and that you are trying to be? Uh, definitely start as a backpacker. Those are the the routes. I feel like there are probably a lot of us who, you know, just by the limits of budget. Um, and I love that. I, I love the culture of being a backpacker, like being in a hostel and meeting people and it's there's such a social aspect to it and this community aspect that I love that part about it. Obviously as I get older, I um don't love the like hostel part anymore. Um, Ooh, <laughs> I remember being I remember being like twenty in a hostel and being like, why you know, why is there just like one weird old person in the hostel? <laughs> and by weird I mean someone who was like over thirty and now I'm like, oh God, I'm that person. Um so yes, have definitely um well I would like to think that I've held on to, you know, parts of those roots. Um when I have the privilege to travel in a somewhat luxurious way, I love that as well. Um it <laughs> definitely will take the chance whenever I can get it. Um and not that it has to be, you know, something luxury. I love camping. It's like a big there's a lot of camping in California, so I grew up camping with my family. Um, and I still love to do that when I can, especially when I'm back home. Um, and so many beautiful places to do it in California. Um, if I had to pick like my kind of travel part of on this trip to Chile last year, we stayed at this place called eco camp, which I am not going to pretend that I was roughing it. It is like a glamping experience, (laughs) (laughs) but it was for me like, wow, this is like the perfect travel experience. It's, it's I'm outside, you're in like this like little yurt, it feels very, you know, like communal bathrooms. But then there's like amazing hot food prepared and you're in this like gorgeous scenery. And um so I would say that's um that's my style. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I think for me, I, I'm I finally I feel like I've let go of my backpacker roots. Like I pack I was always packing doing the military road, like only having a backpack because I just like the convenience of not worrying about check bags. But I'm finally I finally migrated out of that. I feel like I've I'm just I'm just a different style of travel now. Um and it's hard for me even putting the words the kind of traveler I, I am. But I know I, I just enjoy I enjoy convenience. As long as I'm conveniently located, everything else I can figure out. I just love getting lost in a way and just figuring it out. Like not making plans going there and then building a plan from what I see around me um, and really just dive into the cultural aspect of it. Again, language plays a huge part in that, of course. Again, like you said, having friends in a destination helps or knowing the language yourself. Um, but yeah, that's that's for me really where I've landed now. And I think my next question is you have, you have, you know, we have the travel knowledge from your own personal travel experiences. Then you have travel writing. Then you have people that you've met along the way. And just this this glossary of information that you have within yourself. Um, so outside of sharing that with other people, 
um, who within the travel space or what may not be a person, it may be a publication or anything, uh, is your biggest inspiration that motivates you to continue learning about all there is to do within this, um, this huge space that we operate within both personally and professionally? There is somebody, there's someone, there's a woman whose name is Juliet Kinsman, who um, I have followed on Instagram. I'm not even sure like what she originally was, like apart from being like an Instagram influencer about traveling sustainably, but has grown so much in that role that she has, I feel like kind of become the voice of sustainable travel um, and is the editor of sustainability at Condé Nast Travel. Um, always like a, a force, like I see her at the travel conferences, not met her in person yet, but I'm hoping that we one day cross paths. If you're listening, Juliet, I will. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Brian. I'm going to look for you. Um, but she is someone who I just feel I followed for so long. I find her really inspiring in a way with making this really huge concept and challenge of traveling sustainably, which, you know, it's like, you know, don't fly, stop eating me, you know, don't, there's like so many of these big things that aren't realistic for, you know, to, that humanity is going to stop doing. And I think she's, what I really like about her and like, and that inspires me is like breaking it down into these really easy to achieve. Like, Hey, if you're going to do just like one thing, like do that, you know, like carry a reusable water bottle with you. Don't buy plastic when you're out traveling. Um, you know, if you're going to go to this place, go in the off season, don't go in the peak of when everyone is there. Um, and that it's not just sustainability in the sense of the environment and like what's good for the planet, but also like what's good for the community that lives there. What's good for the place. Um, are you as a traveler, like not just taking from this, but also giving something back, um, like a much more, um, you know, generalized overview of like what it means to travel in the 21st century in a way that I think if people don't start changing the way that we travel, um, and I say we, cause I also, me, I also take flights and do things. I live on an Island. Um, but if there's not a huge change in the way that we do this, like it's not, it's not sustainable. It won't last. Like it will end. Um, and I just feel so passionate about that. And she has been like an idol to me in this, um, like very overwhelming and like scary bite of like what's happening in like in the world and in travel. I think I know what you're going to say for this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, If you had your own travel podcast, what would you talk about and why? Well, now I feel like I I just put myself in a box and I have sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) It would definitely be either sustainability. It would be that. That's what I would love to do. My other mm. one would be food while eating because that's oh. between after traveling sustainably, the it's maybe tied with importance of like what I eat when I'm traveling. So, mm. um, but yes, I, that would definitely be what my, my podcast would be. Um, maybe eating sustainably. <laughs> oh, hi, but, uh, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, it would be that like, what are like quick, easy things that you can do to um, make this like really huge thing or something manageable. That's like, Hey, like I can do this. I can have a reusable water bottle or I can bring a bag with me to the beach and like pick up garbage while I'm there that I'm taking out with me. Um, so, so yeah, that would be my, that would be my podcast. I'm not gonna lie. Cause I, I actually did have a, well, I had a different podcast that I used to do cause I used to, I didn't start drinking till later on, but I got into beer and I had a beer. We had a beer podcast. We would travel to whenever we go to a country, we would review the local beer there. So we would find like the local one brewed. Hopefully, if we were lucky, find someone who we could talk to about the beer uh-huh. um, that was from there. Right. From the place, even the person who brewed it, things like that. We would look for like the outskirts of beers, like something that you was really, really hard to find. And that was amazing because we would find people and just have a six pack and go through the whole beer and they would just tell their whole beer story. And I was like, man, that should have been the name of the podcast beer story anyway. But, um, yeah, that was, that's good. That was a good one. Why did I think of that? What was the name of it? 
it was called six packs with X pats. It was so hard to say, but it was, it was cool. It was easy to create the logo. It was like six, yeah. a six pack with X pats. And then we would interview expats and have beer with them. But the best episodes are the ones we actually got to meet with local people who were brewing the beer. So, uh-huh. um, we would only do local beers, like nothing that you can find in 7-Eleven, things like that. So that was great. Uh, I miss doing that so much. But man, it was a lot of drinking. And I don't really want to I want to go back down that road of drinking beer all the time. Uh, it's like it was a fun podcast to make, though. <laughs> so much fun, man. Six, three years in and everybody's just sharing everything. Yeah. But Brian, it's been an amazing conversation so far. Um, loved everything that you've shared. Thank you so much for being just so open and sharing all the gems and the passions and just your overall travel story um, and how travel has impacted your life uh, overall. Uh, this is the point of the episode where just anything else you'd like to share, please feel free. Anything that's maybe I've missed or that you just want to go more into or where you're living or also any questions you may have that you want to ask me. Um, this is the part where you can do whatever you like and end however you would like to end before uh, oh, I close wow. out. So much freedom. I love this. <laughs> um, I do have a question for you, actually. Um, well, one, I feel like I just like, learned a lot about you with that beer thing. Um, but it's not about that. As a someone in American living abroad, which we both have done for many years, um, I know that for me, coming from the U.S. to Spain and Western Europe is definitely cultural differences, a language difference, but it's, I would say like easy in terms of the places that you can move to, you know, it's Western Europe. It's not a huge cultural difference. I already had some Spanish knowledge. Um, I am wondering for you, your jump was much, uh, both culturally and linguistically a much bigger jump. Um, and I don't know, even me, I know that I feel a way about being an American. When somebody asks me where I'm from, and you know, I'm from the U.S., or I'm from California, and then um, the attention that comes with that and what I'm asked, I'm wondering your experience in China, Taiwan, the places you lived, um, how you navigate that in a way where I feel, you know, I can blend in in Europe. Um, I imagine in Taiwan and China, it's a little bit more difficult for you to blend in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. And I, and thank you. It's a, it's an excellent question. And it's something that, because I've had this in Taiwan specifically when I hired other people, for sure, um, everybody deals with it differently. So for me, I guess teaching really helped in the sense that I was able to teach, you know, young kids first grade to high school. So I started with elementary, junior and senior. And I just realized had I not done that, I think I would have been a little bit more angry because they see me first and it's like, well, when I first went there, it was before cell phones and all that and Facebook, um, all the looks, people would stare a lot. And like, of course, they were like, even sitting on the trains, people would intentionally not sit next to me, which I didn't mind that much because I like my personal space. But it's things like that. Like uh, parents would come on and like on the elevator, they would like, you know, just weird little things that, you know, and I would be thinking like, man, is it me? Something wrong with me? But I also understand that I do look different. But have you never seen the person that looks like me before? Like it just brought up so many questions. But in the classroom, the questions the students would ask and the things that and I, things I was able to ask them as well, like the older kids who could have a conversation with me in English. It just for me, it just really was about not having information and access, especially then when they couldn't just Google stuff or it wasn't everything they knew was from Hollywood, mostly, especially their parents who got things from the news. Like my grandmother watches the news here and that's all she knows. And she scares the heck out of me. So I can just imagine a 70, 80 year old Taiwanese person teaching their kids. So when I really thought it through it and I just understood that it just a lack of information. Now, it doesn't excuse the actions at all, because if I saw an Asian person, I wouldn't not sit next to them on the train if they were, here. you know, that's just to me, that's just a different conversation in general. But overall, I knew that it was linked to this not inability to understand, not inability to understand, I'm sorry, just the information wasn't there and they just mm-hmm. really didn't know or understand. So for me, I always took the perspective of, well, I'm a teacher here, but I'm also a visitor here. So in any way that I can, I want to provide more information, um, educate in a way. I want to provide that bridge like, hey, you can talk to me. I'm not scary. I'm not what you see in a movie. Like I wanted to be that person that could provide that different perspective to people. And it's so crazy because I've been there for you know, 12, 15 years. Now that I went back to visit, people don't stare as much. Like people sit next to me on the train. They actually want to. I can have more conversations where they're asking me 
qu- better questions than what they asked me before. Before it was like, oh, you're so black. Now it's like, hey, where are you from? Oh, America. Cool. I did. You know, it just everything shifted. The more information that they got, the dip, the different the people became different because at their core, Taiwanese people are the nicest people I've ever had. Even within my first three years, I got lost in an alley and a person got out of his car, met me in the alley and said, you look lost. How can I help you? Even, you know what I mean? So even though they were all the fear and all that, there were still people, that's generally who they are at their core. They're the nicest people I've ever met overall, but there was just a lack of understanding information there for them to kind of understand who I was and where I came from. So for me, yeah, it was, it was hard at first, but the more I listened more than I just assumed or got angry, I said, okay, well, how could I, how can I be better at this? And how can I have a positive impact here? And that was one of the ways, because for many students and for many parents, I was the first black person they had ever seen. And I was privileged enough to become a director in my second year. And I was speaking to a room of 3000 parents and those questions came up. Well, how is he qualified to speak English? Where is he from? And I had a great, my principal would be like, uh, oh. he's from, America. you know, they would act, but my principal had my back. So, you know, I can go on and on about this, but I just had a great support system. And we, we all understood what had to be done. And again, my kids, like I said, the kids, they love me. Like they were great. Oh, I love teacher Christ, my favorite teacher. So that was how I made an impact. But also for adults, I had that dialogue and I was not afraid to do it. And it didn't make me angry because I understood the impact of what my words in that moment and all the moments that I had would have uh, for people that came after me. So now there's more people that look like me there and they don't have to go through what I went through and they don't have to have those experiences. They can just live as themselves, um, which is to me beautiful. I mean, I'm not, wasn't the only one of course, but I, I, it was five black people in Taiwan when I got there. And I met wow. after three years, the first time I met other black people was this sound funny at a Snoop Dogg concert. In wow. And it was a coincidence. They were just at the front and we were at the front. So, yeah. yeah. But thank you. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but that's oh. the experience in a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's like a like chapters and chapters of like story packed, but you could pack out of that if you wanted to. But um, that's what the other 200 episodes of I Imagine the Podcast are <laughs> We have to save something for uh, something else. <laughs> Another <laughs> another episode (laughs) where is there anything else brian any other questions anything else you would like to share again i'm been an amazing conversation truly enjoy speaking with you was there anything else before i wrap up that's all i have it's been such an enjoy for me uh this is my first time on a podcast so thank you so much carl i am so honored that it was this experience with you well thank you so much for joining me i really again i truly truly appreciate it. i'm sure this won't be your last time on after hearing this episode i'm sure many of my podcasting friends will reach out for an interview with just an, just an amazing person guys like brian is just just everything so thank you so much it's a pleasure uh to have you and to welcome you on to the uh the black expat podcast stumbling over my words guys i'm just really happy and just really thankful to have brian here uh thank you all for tuning in for another episode of the black expat podcast uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Brian, for being here. Um, I messed up my outro, so I'm going to say it again. Thank you all for tuning in to yet another episode. You guys know what to do. Make sure you like, share, subscribe to the podcast, and share with your friends who you know, are interested in living in Spain or going to Spain or, I don't know, going to Taiwan or just traveling. Hit us up. Me and Brian are available. Thank you again, Brian. Really appreciate having you. My name is Carl, the Black Expat. We're out of here. <laughs>